Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Why does all the bad stuff happen to be an act of God? Out in California, we had an earthquake. The stuff came falling off the ceiling. You know, riding an earthquake is a trip, man. It feels like you're on a, on a surfboard, you know, and you're just kind of, whoa, you know. The house is shaking, stuff flying off the wall. We filed an insurance claim, and the insurance company says, oh, well, it was an act of God. I'm like, why does it have to be an act of God? People blame everything on God as if God is the cause of this messed up world. God is not the cause. Listen, God is not the cause of this messed up world. Satan is in charge of this world. See, Jesus, see, Satan came to kill. Satan came to rob. Satan came to destroy. But the Bible says what? Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. It's Satan. The world's messed up because of the devil. Satan is in ownership of this world. Now, it matters not. I believe that the scroll is a title deed to the planet Earth. It matters not what your position or what you believe about the scrolls. The important thing to remember is no one except Jesus is worthy to open it, which brings us to our second point. Notice in verse 2 through 4, if you're there, say amen. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now, give me your attention, if you will. Notice John sees a strong angel, the dilemma. He sees a strong angel. Now, no one knows who this strong angel is, but what we do know is that he is challenging all of creation. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? It's as if the strong angel looked through the entire universe to find someone worthy. No one was worthy. No one in heaven among the angels of God. No one on the earth among all human beings. No one under the earth. No spirit and no demon. All of creation is utterly incapable to open the scrolls. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice what it doesn't say. Notice it doesn't say who is willing to open the scrolls. Did you see that? It says who is worthy to open the scrolls because there are a lot of people who are willing to take the scroll and take control. You have Alexander the Great who was willing, he wanted to control the world. Genghis Khan was willing, Charlemagne was willing, Napoleon was willing, Hitler was most certainly willing. 
Hillary was willing. I like Hillary. Now, I'm going to tell you, I like Just a joke. Just a little funny, funny, you know. And Satan, I'm confident, was willing, as he boasts, you know, he says that I will exalt my throne above the stars of God and I will ascend the throne of God and I will be like the most high God. Satan was willing to reach across the supernatural expanse and take the scroll from the hand of God, but he wasn't worthy. Oh, he was willing, but he wasn't worthy. And John stood waiting for someone to step forward and take the scroll, but no one was found worthy. And then something happened in heaven that had never happened in heaven. Look in your Bibles at verse 4. John says, then I wept much. You see that? There was weeping in heaven. The word weeping means to sob convulsively. It's not like John dropped a couple of tears. No, he didn't. He wept and sobbed convulsively. Why? Because John sees that if no one is found worthy to open the scroll, the world is going to go on forever under the rulership and the leadership of Satan himself. John sees that. John knows that. The world is vile. The world is evil. And it's not going to get better. You know, people think the world's going to get better. Listen, you guys, the world's not going to get better. The Bible teaches in the last days that men's hearts will wax colder and colder and harder and harder. Things are going to get worse. It's awful. It's going to get more evil and more evil and more vile and more vile. Turn on the news lately. Man, every time you turn on the news, somebody's been murdered. Some kid's been abducted. Some cop has been shot. The world, it's just, it's awful. The world is getting more evil. Things are getting worse and men's hearts are growing cold. I mean, you contrast TV today. 30 years ago, they had shows on like Father Knows Best, which I agree. (laughs) Don't you? All the dads went, amen. That's right. That's right, pastor. You preach, bro. Father knows best. I've been telling my wife. (laughs) And yet shows on like father knows best and, you know, shows like that. Nowadays, we are bombarded with sex and sexual innuendos and some of these sitcoms. You know, I like to watch TV, quite honestly. But I can't. I can't. I got, I got rid of it. I got rid of my cable because I was just giving those guys money because half the stuff they put on there, I can't watch it. I'm making some man's pocket rich and fat and happy, and I'm sitting home going, I hate TV. Turn the channel. Whoop, can't watch that. Click. Whoop, can't watch that. Click. Whoop, can't watch that. I'm on the 400th channel. Whoop, can't watch that. Click. Whoop. Oh, just get rid of it. Save your money. And you can't watch it. It's awful. TV is awful. You remember there was a time. You remember the movie Gone with the Wind? You remember that movie and Clark Gable at the end of the movie? He said, frankly, my dear, I don't fill in the blank. You remember that? Do you know there was a huge stir about 
that one statement during that time. Huge. People boycotted the movement. I mean, it wasn't just Christians either. It wasn't like the Christians right wing freak crazy Jesus freak people out there boycotting the movie. No, no, no. It wasn't like that at all. It was, it was people, just people had a problem with that one comment in the movie. Nowadays, that's family television. That's family films. That's no problem with that today. There was a time when pornography was something shameful and people would have to, you know, wear a hat and glasses and stick a beard on their face to sneak into some of these places. Now, man, is that the 7-Eleven at the BP? I'm at the BP. I'm just trying to get my gas and get my water because I'm just trying, to get, just trying to go about my day and do my thing. I stop at the BP. And this guy's in there and buying pornography right there. No shame. I'm looking at him like, have you no shame? <laughs> no. They have no shame. There used to be a time where people were shameful about these things. Nowadays, you can just tuck into your office, turn on your little computer, and turn on the, get on the internet, and nobody knows. Don't have to put on the beard, the glasses, and the hat, and change clothes, and go sneak into these shady, seedy places. Nope, just tucking in your office. A hundred billion dollar industry, the pornographic industry. That's a lot of money, y'all. A hundred billion dollars on that kind of sick evility? The world is getting more evil. And in many respects, we are worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. We're worse. Well, we can thank God, and I don't know about you, but I do thank God that I have this Bible. Amen? I thank God I know the end of the story. I already know. I already know. And I thank God that the book of Revelation didn't end right here. It doesn't. Notice brings us to our third and final point. We meet the deliverer in verse 5 through 7. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Would you underline that? Stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Again in verse 5, our last and final point this morning, we meet the deliverer. One of the elders, not an angel, note that, not an angel, but one of the elders finds John and he says, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now notice three unique titles given to describe the deliverer. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. And the lamb in verse 6. You see that? 
the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the Lamb. Now, the line of the tribe of Judah is a messianic title given in Genesis chapter 49. You might want to take a look at that in your own time. And Jacob is blessing his son there in Genesis, and he comes to Judah. And he gave a prophecy that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. The title, The Root of David, comes from Isaiah 11 and is again repeated in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. The root of David, he will not only come, this this deliverer will not only come from David, but he is the root for David. Not only the root that comes from the line of David, but he is the root for David. That means that, that, that David actually comes from him. Jesus was born through the line of David. We know that. But he also preexisted before David in eternity. So he is the root of David. He comes from the line of David, but he is also the root for David. Now, the elders tell John not to weep. Did you see that in your text? Because the line, the line of the tribe of Judah has been found worthy to take the scrolls. You see that? Now, I'm sure at this point that John would have turned around or thought he was going to turn around and expects to see this massive, massive figure, a roaring lion. But he doesn't see a roaring lion. He sees, notice, a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, this word lamb literally means a little pet lamb. John sees a delicate little pet lamb. And not just a pet lamb, but a lamb that had been slaughtered and slain. Isn't that an incredible contrast? The lion and the lamb. Jesus is called the lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. Now, I believe, I believe when we get to heaven and we see Jesus, we will see the only man-made thing in heaven. What's that, Rodney? The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars in the Lamb. The only man-made thing in heaven. When we get there, notice we, John sees a lamb. You've you, you got to get this now. John sees a lamb as though it had been slain. When we get to heaven, we will see, I am confident that we will see the nail-pierced hands. We'll see the wounded side. We'll see the, 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 the scars that the, the plaited crown of thorns made on his head. We'll see that. He'll have them. He had them after the resurrection. You remember when the disciples were gathered in the upper room and they were talking about whether Jesus had resurrected from the, the grave or not. And, and Thomas said, I don't believe it. And I love that scene. Jesus just comes walking through the door, man. And type, whoa, whoa, where'd you come from? And he walks right up to, Dave, uh, up to Thomas. And he says, Thomas, he says, take your fingers and put them in my hand. Thomas, take your hand and put it into my side. He says, and don't be faithless. Don't be doubting, but believe. So after the resurrection, we do know that these scars are still in his body. We know that. We also know that when Jesus comes back and he appears to Israel, 
Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So when Jesus comes back and he shows himself to his people, Israel, the Bible says that they're going to look at him. They're going to know it's Jesus because they're going to be able to identify the marks. He's going to show them to them. And they're going to mourn because of what they did to him. The scars in his hands and the wound in his side. There was a guy who told a story about he's had a vision or appearance of this figure at the foot of his bed and the figure was in bright lights and in white and you know and he looked at the the figure and the figure said he says who are you and the figure said I'm Jesus and he said then show me your scars and the figure disappeared and interesting just interesting I love that song, the nails in your hands, the nails in your feet, they tell me how much you love me. The thorns on your brow, they show me how you bore so much pain to love me. And maybe, just maybe, this explains why the Bible says in heaven there will be no more tears. Maybe, because when we get to heaven, we're going to see the wounds, we're going to see the scars, and we're going to know, like never before, I believe, what our sin has done to him. And we'll weep. John wept in heaven, we will weep, but then the Lord's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. Interesting. So John says he wept much convulsively. Now, I want to draw your attention, if you will, in closing this lamb. The lamb's description, it's pretty interesting. It looks like something out of a Steven Spielberg movie. Grotesque image. Seven horns, seven eyes, seven spirits. Now, this doesn't actually literally mean. I, I, we were talking about this, uh, Michelle and I, and uh, we, she's, we've got a screensaver, and it has a picture of this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michelle. <laughs> it's got a screensaver, and it's got this picture of this thing, and it's not quite accurate. We were talking about that's just not quite biblical, but it's, I mean, it's a cool screensaver, but it's not quite biblical. And because uh, this doesn't literally mean that it has that the lamb has seven horns, seven eyes and seven spirits. Seven horns speak of the power of God. It speaks of power and authority and omnipotence. The seven eyes speak of perfect insight, perfect insight. God knows everything. God knows everything. We don't think he knows everything because we don't know everything, but he knows everything. He sees us like glass, right? Like a piece of glass you can see right through it. That's how God sees you. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? God sees us. God knows us. He sees right through you. I was down at Lowe's the other night picking up something and found myself in the parking lot talking to one of the... um, one of the, uh, the guy, he actually works behind the deli, and Junior works in the parking lot pushing carts, and they were out there talking. And, and I walked up to the guy, and we got, I said, hey, how you doing? You a Christian? He's like, what is wrong with you? 
Oh, I like to read books, he said. I like to read. I went, you, so do I. He said, I said, really, what kind of books? Oh, little this, little that. I went, so do I. Little this, little that. Oh, I like to listen to music. So do I. What kind of music? Like a little this, little that. So do I. You know, and I got engaged in a conversation with this, with this kid. And, and I just began to tell him about God and began to tell him about the love of Jesus. And I began to tell him that God knows everything. God just knows everything. God is God. If he is God, he knows everything. And he can see right through you, man. And he looked at me and says, man, that's heavy, dude. That's heavy. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm heavy, man. I'm heavy. It's heavy, man. God knows everything. And so these, these seven eyes, it speaks of perfect insight. God is omniscient. He knows everything. The seven spirits of God speak of the fullness of God and the Holy Spirit. Seven being the number of completeness. And notice Jesus came and he took the book out of the right hand in verse 7. And the four beasts and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb and they begin to worship. John is encouraged that the Lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to loose the seals so redemption can be possible. This Lamb, Jesus, who sits on the throne, he meets the requirements of the Goel, the Redeemer. How so, Rodney? Well, number one, he is related to us, he is related. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus left the glory of the Father and he lowered himself or he humbled himself and he took on the form of man. Jesus left the throne, became a baby, grew up to be a man, suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross. He did that just for us, that he might relate to us as he became a man. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man. Spurgeon said, how great a stoop from the height of his throne to a dunghill. I like that. A dunghill. Secondly, he's able. He is able. He's not only related, but he's also able. And that gives him the right to be our goel. He is able to redeem us. We'll see it next week. The elders in verse 8 through 10 are singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. You've redeemed us by your word. He is able. Jesus met the requirements and paid our debt in full. And then last but certainly not least, Jesus was willing. Amen. He was so willing. I don't know why he was willing either. I don't know that I'd be willing to go to a dung hill. He was willing. John 10, 17, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Jesus was most certainly willing. Matthew chapter 13 tells us, interesting story, you should read it later. Jesus told a story about a man who found a treasure in a field and he bought the field so he could get the treasure. Isn't that interesting? He bought this man, bought the field that he could get the treasure. Not that he had use for the field, but he wanted what was in the field. Now, Jesus, the Bible says that our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, this lamb who is on the throne, 
is going to come back someday riding on a horse and he's going to reclaim that which was lost. And he's going to do that because we are his treasure. Now, I know that's difficult to believe. It's difficult for me to believe that I'm a treasure to him. I don't feel like a treasure sometimes. Rodney, you don't know, man, my sin is, uh, I'm just really in it deep, man. I mean, it's been a real problem, and I'm not really doing well in my walk with the Lord, and oh, man, it's awful. I don't feel like a treasure. Well, he came to redeem the treasure, and I thank God he did that. Even when I don't feel like a treasure, he still has use for me, and he's got use for you. Someday he's going to come back. And let me just encourage you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, Hold on. It won't be long. Maranatha, he's coming again. Amen. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.